we gather every Friday, what we really want to do, what we should be doing, we want to imitate God's plan for us by just immersing ourselves and focusing on the truth of the better plan for us. The plan that was made so personal in Jesus. We are building from last week uh, one of the great things about expository preaching and teaching, just walking straight through books of the Bible, is that we really see the continuity. It helps us to see that 1 Corinthians, uh, whilst it addresses loads of different topics, is one continuous uh, it's one continuous letter. Uh, so when we look at longer passages like this, week by week, we're building a case. Uh, last week, then, we talked about why we use our gifts here at the gathering. And this morning, we're going to build on that and talk about uh, how we use them. Uh, so the next step in this big picture about church and how church on a, on, in our world how it works on a Friday morning. The next step in this big picture is how do we uh, do things? Uh, and again, passages like this are so good for a church like ours uh, because we've got people from all over the world, uh, people from all different kind of church backgrounds, people from no church background, uh, vastly different experiences and expectations uh, for Friday morning. And so for me, it's so good <laughs> to just crack open the Bible and say, look, this is what the Bible says about church. If you want a different flavor and uh, whatnot, then fine. I can give you a list of uh, <laughs> different flavors of churches you'll find across the country. But we're going to do uh, what Scripture tells us to do. So it's one of the great things about being so diverse, yet walking through the Word. It's just like, look, this is what it says. Uh, so this is what we're going to do. Uh, so the first thing then is how we just read for us uh, in 1 Corinthians 14. We get a little bit of a review uh, so if you weren't with us last week, uh, why we use our gifts at the gathering when we assemble like this all together, the first thing uh, that Paul does is kind of, um, kind of review that, kind of um, reiterates what he said last week. And he very, very helpfully for us, uh, he gives us some clarity about who he is speaking to specifically in this passage. Uh, there are times when we've talked about, uh, in First Corinthians, we've talked about stuff like sexual morality, liberty, freedom, we've divorced, marriage, and that, that is just for, for people. Uh, and then there are passages where he speaks to particular parts of the church, and he very helpfully uh, lets us know. So if you've not done so already, I'd love you to join me in First Corinthians 14. And we're going to read verse 26, uh, a little bit of review, a little bit of clarity about who he is speaking to. So we read, what should you do then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a song, as a lesson, as a revelation, as a tongue, as an interpretation. Let all these things be done for the strengthening of the church. His first point then, when you come together, we read, the context that he is speaking into, talking about, correcting them on, is when the church gathers like this, all together, when you come together. So this is not about your midweek group. This is not about your home group, your growth group, your midweek friendship and fellowship. Whatever you do with one another outside of Friday mornings. Uh, this is not your home group, not your growth group. Your midweek group shouldn't try to replicate or copy what we do on a Friday. 
they're, they're, they're different. They should run differently to Friday mornings. It should feel different. Uh, there should be different patterns of interaction. There are different gifts uh, shared and used in a smaller midweek growth group, home group setting than when we get together, when you come together. He's talking about all of us together. So let's be really clear and let's be really straight uh, because if uh, nearly 10 years here has taught me anything is that people get this mixed up, let's say. Uh, your home group is not church. Church is not a giant home group. They're different. It's all right that they're different. It's good that they're different. You don't need a miniature version of this in your house during the week. And when we come together, this, this isn't a giant growth group. This is when we come together. This is a church service. This is our gathering, our assembly, our own meeting, as the writer, speaker to the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew says. Uh, it's different. It's all right. It's good that they are different. So home groups are not church. So if you stop going on a Friday, but you tell us, it's all right, I'm going to a home group, they're different. Home group is not church. Church is not a giant home group either. Uh, they're not in competition with each, with each other either. Try saying that quickly. They're not in competition with each other. They're different. They're complementary. We're not trying to find out what you enjoy most. So you can drop one. They're complementary. They're not in competition. But when we assemble as the whole church, like this on a Friday, when we bring together all the different little home groups and friendship groups and fellowship groups and Bible studies, when we bring that all together on a Friday, that's what Paul is talking about now. And so the Lord, via Paul, is talking to each one, uh, we read, each one who has a gift for the gathering. That's really, really helpful that he says it like this. Because otherwise, we could be left looking at this list, which is not extensive. We could be left looking at this list and trying to find ourselves. Well, I'm not good at singing. I don't want to speak to the group. I've not had any revelations this week. My tongue is just for me. And I don't have any interpretations. And if we, if we were looking through that list, trying to find ourselves every Friday, we'd probably be quite disappointed most weeks that we don't have something here to share every week. So when he says, we're each one, he's talking about those who have a gift that benefits everybody. This is him building on last week where we said, when we get together like this as a whole, we're going to use the gifts that help us all to grow. And again, in your home group, it's going to be different because they're different, different, different. But when we get together, he's talking to each one who has a gift to benefit the whole. Uh, not necessarily every single person in church on a Friday. It is not required of you. We're not failing as a church if every single week, every single person doesn't jump up and show us their gift. Every week. Uh, we, we don't need everybody to pass the mic. Have two minutes. Or maybe, maybe 30 seconds. And everybody doesn't have to share every single week. He's talking about when you come together, those of you that have a gift that benefits the gathering. And here's some examples. He says it's a bit of an ad hoc list. Uh, those of you that like to or can <laughs> competently lead us with music. Uh, a word of encouragement, a teaching from Scripture. When you come together formally as the church, he says, if this is you, if you've got a gift that benefits the gathering, please don't forget 
all things are going to be done for the strengthening of the church. So if you've got a gift, you want to share it at the gathering, if it's not going to benefit everybody on a Friday, we're going to politely ask or point you to Scripture that says, not today. If it's good for you, great. If it's good in a home group, great. When we come together, it's different. We said we've got not that much time together and we want to encourage, teach, strengthen, console everybody because everybody's got to get what's going on. It's for the church collective. When we gather, it's not for everybody to, to show us their gift. It's not a great big, you know, America's got talent on a Friday morning where everybody gets to come up and you stand before the church and you show us what you've got and we decide if it's good or not. Uh, so this is kind of a review. We established this last week. We know this from last week. Uh, and now Paul is going to make the point of how those gifts are used. So we've talked about which gifts we use when we gather, those that benefit everybody. Why? So that everybody leaves having learned something, uh, knowing that they're loved, they can be forgiven. We talked about this last week. Now he's going to say how. How should, in our world and in our language, how, does Friday, how should Friday morning look? How should it work? Uh, how are we going to try and encourage everybody in a very limited amount of time? And he again, just for an example, uses the gifts of tongues and prophecy to illustrate. It's not to say that we're going to get together on a Friday and we're all about tongues and prophecy. Because first and foremost, this, this nice little passage that we're talking about is correcting the Corinthians. They were getting this wrong, so he's using it as an example in which there's a bigger point. He's not necessarily dictating to us, hey, look, when you get together, this is how it goes, play by play. Uh, so let's read from verses 27 to 31, uh, and then we'll see how our gatherings should look. Uh, so verse 27, if someone speaks in a tongue, it should be two, or at the most three, one after the other, and someone must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he should be silent in the church. Let him speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should evaluate what is said. And if someone sitting down receives a revelation, the person who is speaking should conclude. For you can all prophesy one after another, so all can learn and be encouraged. Uh, we see this very formulaic here a couple of times. Uh, it should be two or at the most three. Uh, two or three prophets, two or three people, two or three this, two or three that. And it's one way of saying, look, when you get together... Again, which for us is here now, Friday morning. When you get together, uh, and he says this again explicitly, let's make sure that your gatherings, your service, doesn't just descend into chaos. We want a very peaceful gathering, not some kind of pandemonium. It's not organized chaos. So he says, look, two or three people. It's a, it's a very nice way of saying, look, just a, a couple of people. <laughs> Don't all jump up, speak up. And uh, notice with me as well, he says, if, if someone speaks in a tongue. Uh, this is a genuine if, not like a conversational filler noise. You know, if, this is a genuine. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't happen. Uh, it doesn't have to happen, is his point. And he's correcting them on this because as we said last week, they loved tongues. For them, it was the stamp and the seal of, uh, of, of a divinely approved service full of super spiritual people. And it doesn't have to happen at your weekly big gathering, he's telling the Corinthians. It doesn't have to happen at all. Uh, and if it does, there are some conditions. If 
Somebody's going to exercise that gift. Somebody must interpret because without interpretation, all of us are not encouraged. We don't know what's going on. Otherwise, as we have consistently read, it's private. Let him speak to himself and to God. It's, it's for you. If that's how you can encourage yourself, great. And uh, there's a New Testament scholar called Gordon Fee, uh, possibly the foremost expert on First Corinthians ever. And he said, Paul has been really consistent throughout. Tongues is the language of prayer and praise directed towards God, not people, because it is unintelligible and therefore cannot edify. It should remain in the setting of personal prayer and devotion. And so Paul is not bold enough to absolutely ban something that God has gifted somebody with. Because there's a line of, look, God has gifted people, and who is Paul to say what, you know, to ban stuff <laughs> from church gatherings? Uh, and so rather than outright ban it, he says, look, if, then there has to be these things, these other conditions need to be met, but if not, it's a really private and personal thing, as is established earlier in this letter. But in contrast to the if, when we gather like this all together, there should be, we read, some prophecy, as we said last week. And prophecy after the resurrection and the ascension is primarily, as we read in verse 3 of chapter 14, primarily now, mainly now, speaking to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. So when we get together on a Friday, there should be some encouragement, some strengthening, and some consolation from God's Word. It should be intelligible and understandable by all, as we've established before, because what we don't get, what we don't understand, we're not encouraged by. He says, look, two or three prophets should speak, and the others, now that's everybody present, the others should evaluate what is said. So a couple of people. His point is not everybody is going to jump up and speak up here, like this. A couple of people, two or three, two or three people are going to speak to uh, on behalf of uh, the group when you gather like this for your formal, weekly, all-together assembly. Uh, two or three people are going to put forth divine truth in word, in song, in prayer. Two or three people. It's not organized chaos. It's very peacefully planned. Uh, very simply, the Corinthians have been told here, and the principle is so true for us as well, at the formal and organized gathering of the church, not everybody is going to jump up and speak up. And again, in our language, in our world, that's now Friday morning. So Friday morning is not the time where everybody, we pass the mic and everybody gets 30 seconds. During the service, let's be really clear, 10, 10, not 10.10 or 10.05, between 10 and 11.15 is our organized, formal gathering of the church. It's holy, it is sacred, it is a gathering of the saints, and we want to encourage and edify everybody. And what we all don't understand, we're not going to be encouraged by. So that's how it's going to be we read, between 10 and 11.15. Now, equally as important, I think, is the time before 10 and the time after 11.15. Now, if you're good at maths or math, 
mathematics, let's say, a word that we can all agree on. Uh, if you're good at math, maths, you're going to realize 8.45 until 10 is the same time, the same amount of time as 10 till 11.15. Am I right? Yes, I am. And then after, there's 45 minutes, a little bit less. There are people around here from 8.45. And for me, I enjoy 8.45 until 10. I was going to say just as much, almost as much as 10 to 11.15. Because that is more personal. There's more chance to sit, to chat, to connect with people. There's a lot of strengthening, encouragement, and consolation happening. Prophecy, New Testament prophecies, a lot of New Testament prophecy going on between 8.45 and 10. And then, yeah, 10 to 11.15, it's more formalized, it's more reverent. It's our holy and sacred formal gathering of the church. And then again, at 11.15, it all happens again. A lot more collective, public, all over the place, prophecy happening between 11.15 and 12. There's 45 minutes between when our service closes and our time at the school closes. And so if you add those two things together, there is more time available to you to encourage somebody and to be encouraged before the service and after the service than there is in the service. When again, for me, that is equally as important, the time before, the time after. But again, the context of this is our formal religious gathering, our, the, the, the serious service bit. And during the serious service bit, during this, our, our gathering, there's going to be a couple of people that speak. We're, we're going to plan to make sure it's a peaceful, encouraging gathering. It's not chaos during the service. And it's not chaos in the service because we have planned what to do, how to do it, when to do it. And despite what some people think, we've thought about why this works. We don't just make it up. Uh, and this throws, this throws all the way back. This is not Paul going off script. This is not me just making stuff up. This throws back all the way to when God's people were uh, God's people. What we would call the Old Testament. As soon as there were people... This is how they're going to gather. Uh, it's led by a couple of people. During the formal gathering, there's a couple of people. Uh, you can read about that in Ezra chapter 5, for example. We read about the prophets. Haggai and Zechariah spoke to the people. Or you can read about it in Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, as we will here. Picking up in verse 2, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which included men and women, all those able to understand what's going on. Uh, this happened on the first day of the seventh month. Uh, so he read it before the plaza in a public space where everybody can fit. He read the law in front of the water gate from dawn until noon before the men and the women and the children who could understand. All the people were eager to hear the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a towering wooden platform constructed for this purpose. So note to uh, service team, this is not towering. Uh, it's, I guess it's kind of wooden, <laughs> but yeah, uh, this is not a towering wooden platform. <laughs> I'll have to look into that. But all of that to say, look, Paul is not going off script when he says, look, 
it's calm, it's peaceful, it's planned. There's a couple of people. Two or three people should speak publicly for the encouragement of the group during the organized gathering. Now again, before and after the service, yes, get amongst it. Find somebody to encourage, be encouraged on a, on a more personal level. But during the formal gathering, during the service, it's, it's going to be a couple of people. Uh, and then as we get back to verse 29, everyone else, everyone in the room uh, down there in verse 29, uh, the others, that is literally everybody uh, present. Everybody's going to evaluate. So you've got to pay attention. You're going to, you need to follow what's going on. It's going to evaluate. We're going to examine. We're going to test what's going on against the standard of Scripture because if it's not lining up, again, it's, we're missing the mark. So everybody, the others there, is going to evaluate, examine, and then be encouraged by what is said. And bigger picture, the point is for us to have an organized, planned time of worship and in the Word that is peaceful. It's not full of chaos. And so, as childish as this is going to sound, in verse 30 we read, turn-taking is encouraged. You know, we're going to take turns with how and when uh, we do things. And this is where we see just how correctional this was. Because it seems from the text that the Corinthians were just interrupting one another. Everybody wanted their two minutes. And so whether somebody else was speaking or not, I want to speak, so I'm going to jump up and speak up. So Paul says, no, you know, take turns. One after another. Uh, really practically here and now, I didn't jump up and start explaining and applying. Whilst Howie was speaking this morning, he's not going to get up and start singing on top of me. Because we plan what's going to go on, when it's going to go on, how it's going to go on, and why it's going to go on, so that when we all get together, it's as encouraging and edifying and equipping as it can possibly be. And this is so true. This is so true in, in life anyway. If you see a couple of people talking after the service, you are not going to go and just inject yourself into their conversations, are you? You are. <laughs> I love that we interact, but <laughs> I love when you get the right answers. If you see a couple of people talking after the service, you're not going to go over, oh, what are you guys talking about? Can I join in? It's just, not, it's just not how we interact with people. But yet Paul has to spell it out for the Corinthians. When somebody's talking, don't start singing. When he's singing, even if your microphone is as loud as mine was, don't get up and over, speak over the top of him. Because nobody's going to enjoy that, be encouraged by that. We take turns. It sounds like we're talking to kids' church. We take turns. We wait for somebody else to, to stop speaking, to make sure, as he says, that all can learn and be encouraged. So when we gather like this, formally on a Friday, collectively, when we bring together all of the small groups of the church, the gifts that God has given us are not going to be the focus of our Fridays. The worship of God and the Word of God are and will remain the focus of our Fridays. Thank you. When we come together, as we read, when we assemble, when we have our own meetings, as the Hebrew, that we read in the Hebrews, our focus is worship and the word, and we follow a pattern. We have a plan because 
as we read in verses 32 and 33, this reflects the character and the nature of God. We read that indeed the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets for because God is not characterized by disorder but by peace. And so because God is a planner, because he wants peace and not chaos, he's not characterized by disorder. Because of that, when we gather, we're not just going to, well, we'll just go for it and see what happens. Maybe one week we'll do this. Maybe next week we'll do that. Who knows? No, we plan. I know when he's going to stop singing. He knows when I'm going to stop talking. We plan these things so that our service, our formal gathering, this on a Friday reflects and imitates the character and the nature of God. And God is not characterized by disorder, but by peace. The church gathering, this again, this is too important. This is too holy. This is too sacred to just wing it and see what happens. Just to get together and just wait for somebody to do something or to say something. We could have 50 spontaneous tongue speakers all going in different places. We could have 100 people speaking at the same time, prophecy, trying to encourage everybody. We could have music going. We could have scripture being read. But if nobody learns anything, And nobody leaves encouraged. If, as we read in verse 31 there, there is disorder instead of peace, then then we've, we've we've missed the mark and we've failed. And it's not a biblical, scriptural church service because what we're doing is not reflecting the character and the nature of God. So our weekly worship, this, now, reflects the character and reflects the nature of God. And this is a really big picture, very deep and rich conclusion. It's a very theological conclusion. We do stuff like we do it, how we do it, when we do it, to reflect the character and the nature of God. We know that God is ordered, methodical, plans. God is not characterized by disorder but by peace. We read, we read that interruption is not really his thing. You know, the subjects are those who are going to, uh, the, the spirits are those who are going to share. The two or three people are subject to, to one another. We don't just jump up and interrupt and speak up whenever we feel like it because it doesn't help everybody to understand, to learn, to be encouraged. And the, the, the point of us getting together like this every week is to learn and be encouraged. And we make that happen, or we do, we do our best to make that happen by having a focus, worship and the word, and we follow a plan. Because there is a peace in following a plan. We plan to have a peaceful, reverent gathering, not organized chaos, where everybody comes in, does what they want, how they want, when they want, and why they want. We plan for the learning, the encouragement of everybody who gathers with us by having worship and the word as the focus of the service. Because there is peace in having a plan. And that's true for church and that is just true in the world as well. Do you guys like a plan? Yeah, some people like a plan. I like a plan. There is peace in a plan. 
And I think we appreciate having a plan. We like having a plan. We want to have a plan. Because we see it so many times in Scripture. And I think the, the biggest and the best example of this truth, that there is peace in having a plan, uh, runs right through Scripture from beginning to end. And see, right from people being around, as soon as people had the gift of free will, the ability to choose what they want to do, how they want to do it, where they want to do it, how they want it, why, all those things. As soon as people had the gift of free will, it was used and abused to serve themselves. Doing what they want, when they want, why they want, where they want, how they want, all those things. And the Corinthians were acting out that very human desire when they gathered as the church. Because when they gathered as the church, well, this is what we want to do. I want to speak. I want to speak. I'm going to sing. I'm going to pray in a language that nobody else understands. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. If you're still speaking, I don't really care. I'm going to jump up and do it anyway. So they were acting on that very human desire when they gathered as the church by doing what they want, when they want, why they want, and how they want to do it. But living, bigger picture, living like that, having gatherings, services like that, creates hostility and, and tension Enmity, we read in Scripture, distance between God and us because that is contradictory to his nature. We said that we gather like this and we do it like this because we're trying to reflect the nature and character of God. So when we get together and just do whatever we want and disregard what he says, we're living in, in contradiction to his nature and to his character. And through living like that, through our sin, we become, through our own choices, enemies of God, opposed to God. He's like this, and we want to live like that. He says do this, we end up choosing to do that instead. And so through doing what we want, how we want, when we want to do it, by ignoring uh, who God is, how God is, what God wants from us, and what he wants for us, through our own choices, as people, we become enemies of God because we're living in contradiction to who he is. And the, the bad news for all of us is that we've, that just happens without even trying. Left to our own devices, that is what we're going to choose. We've just got this natural human disposition to please ourselves, to do what we want to do how we want to do it, when we want to do it, and usually where we want to do it as well. And that's, that's, really, that's really bad news. Through just being who we are, uh, we are going to put distance between us and God. And, and God, in his perfect justice and holiness, cannot and will not overlook that fact. Look, I've said you should do it like this, but you've chosen to do it like that, that's not going to go, that's not going to be overlooked. He cannot, if God is perfect in his justice, in his holiness, he cannot overlook outright rebellion. People saying, nah, I think I'll do it like this instead. He cannot and will not 
overlook that. And again, the really bad news is that even if we try so hard, try our absolute best, we can't do anything about that. We read in Isaiah that our best efforts are uh, just not enough, to put it politely. Uh, And that's really bad news. Naturally, we are going to want to choose to live in contradiction uh, to God. But despite this bad news, there is still the opportunity for you and for me to experience peace with God. And it's not through our plan, but it's through the good news of God's plan for your peace. And so when we get together, we have a plan and we gather and we assemble. We're seeking to imitate, reflect the nature of God that values everybody, that loves everybody. Everybody can be served, loved. Everybody can be helped. But really, as, as even if we plan so well for Friday, our plan for Fridays just pales into insignificance compared to the plan that God has for you. Even if we plan the best church service the world has ever seen, it won't help us cover that distance between God and us that our sin has created. The peace that we want, in our, that we need, that we're searching for in our own lives won't come by our own plan. Even if we have the best church service this side of eternity. It's never, we're never going to cover that distance. The peace that we really need, the plan that really matters, comes only through the person of Jesus. His crucifixion atoned for, paid for the sins of all who say, nah, I'm not going to do it like that. I'm going to do it my way. His crucifixion atoned for, paid for, has closed and covered that distance for everybody who turns to him in repentance and with faith. And so the debt, the, 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 the inevitable consequences of living however you like, if you turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, that debt, that price is paid. And the proof of it is in his resurrection. The sacrifice has been accepted this great, big, beautiful plan that starts in the first book and ends in the last book has advanced to the next stage with his resurrection. And so as people, we just said, you know, we've got this wonderful gift of free will where we can choose to do what we want to do, how we want to do it, why we want to do it, with whom we want to do it. As people, we've got that wonderful liberty and freedom, but we're also made to live in peace with God. You, you and I are made to experience peace with God. And because he knows that, because he wants that for you, it's his plan. He knows that our plans are, you know, just never going to get us there. So it is his plan, the plan that is Jesus, that is the only way that we're going to experience peace with God. And it, because Scripture says so, I really believe that it will happen for you if you repent of doing things your own way and turn to him in faith. You know, right at the end of the book, in Revelation 21, we read about when this peace 
with God just becomes our reality. We read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth have ceased to exist, and the sea existed no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and here's, here's the, the piece for us, Look, the residence of God is among human beings. He will live among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will not exist anymore, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the former things have ceased to exist. That's the plan. That is the plan for you and for me. That is the plan that God wants for every single person on his earth, past, present, or future. To live with him, to be in his presence continually, but because of our sin, because of the distance that that puts between us, there needs to be a plan to cover it. And it's not our beautiful Friday morning gatherings. It's the plan that is the person of Jesus. It's the plan for us to be in God's presence happen only Jesus. And so, as we've read in 1 Corinthians, when we gather like this, we're going to do every single week, we're going to do our earthly best to imitate this plan, to reflect this plan, to reflect the nature and the character of God. We plan for peace. We plan, we do our earthly best that everybody who gathers with us, assembles with us as the church, leaves having learned something, having been encouraged, edified, equipped to go. We make time before the service. We make time after the service. The service itself does that. We, we plan for that. And again, the focus of our Fridays are going to be worshipping God and receiving His Word. We're imitating God's plan for our peace by planning a gathering where we can all grow, learn, be encouraged. But ultimately, when we gather every Friday, what we really want to do, what we should be doing, we want to imitate God's plan for us by just immersing ourselves and focusing on the truth of the better plan for us the plan that was made so personal in Jesus.